He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. Welcome back, Warren. Hey, thank you. Hey, uh, buddy. The War Dog. I had to take the time off to get caught up on everything DC to prepare myself for four hours and two minutes of the Snyder Cut. <laughs> but seriously i did watch all, i watched like a lot of the dc movies this past week james i had my first kickball game today we won i tried way too hard uh i fell <laughs> i skinned my knee pretty seriously and i pulled my thigh muscle but we won and that's what's important <laughs> leave it all out on the field what position were you playing james i played pretty much every infield position what i realized in kickball is that it's actually beneficial to bunt and it's almost undefendable so we played as many people in the infield as legally possible <laughs> bunch of uh, athletic teams playing small ball over over there on you but well i, I, I looked it up and it's, when it's like how do you defend a bunt in kickball everyone's like you're fucked man like, yeah. it's, you can't throw the ball that far. So if someone just drops it in front of home plate, if you don't peg them in the back, they're safe. Case. I have a lot of corrections to do in my life right now. I learned what OnlyFans was after my announcement last <laughs> week. I was going to try to make some extra money. So I'm definitely not pursuing an OnlyFans career. Yet. Did you order your pirate costume on Amazon last week? <laughs> no, I didn't. I decided against the pirate thing, too. Oh. The other calculation I had wrong was Gabriel Byrne, who we're going to talk about tonight, is not the lead singer of the Talking Heads, nor is he in Bridesmaids. So I had a lot <laughs> of catching up to do this week. <laughs> David Byrne. Yeah, he's actually not related to Rose Byrne either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Dispelling so many urban myths today. I wish his name was Richard. <laughs> 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 Rigby. I will not be watching the Snyder Cut. I don't even know what that is, but I would imagine it's the director's cut to Justice League. It's what he named as Circumcision. (laughs) I didn't even see the original Justice League, so uh, I'm going to miss out on this one too, unfortunately. But yeah, happy to be here with you guys, doing a little gay burn. (laughs) One actor that I never thought we'd cover on this podcast, yet here we are. On my end, I'm just... Slightly burnt because we got left at the altar by our f- first time ever by a guest. Got straight ghosted. So if you listened to the last episode, you know we should have a sixth person, but he's chosen not to be with us by ignoring us for the last three weeks. Joke's on <laughs> us. That's not the first time you've been ghosted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm not upset at all. I haven't taken it personally. Not one bit. No, it'll be good. We'll, uh, we'll talk about Gabe and then we'll have a good time. Our birthday is March 25th. Warren, what we got? We'll start out with Sean Ferris. He's been in three of the shittier movies we've talked about. <laughs> Yours, mine, and ours never back down and forever strong. Each one of those features a separate month that we've discussed. So how old is Sean Ferris? Rigby, I don't expect you to know who we're talking about. <laughs> so I've watched the most Sean Ferris movies on this podcast. Not by choice. 
clearly by design of the wheel. <laughs> My guess is this guy is 42. Oh, I'm going to go 45. Give me 39. 36, Warren. Craig on the dot, 39. Ooh. Congratulations, Sean. Sir Jessica Parker, Sex in the City, Failure to Launch, Family Stone, and Sex in the City 2. Smart. <laughs> oh, 56. I'll say 55. Give me 59. 54. James wins. 56 on the dot. Oh, nice. Damn. Good work, James. And finally, we've got Jenny Slate from Parks and Rec, Big Mouth, Venom, and Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwrecked. (laughs) I think we mentioned that one a couple episodes back with someone. 35. 32. I've got no idea who this is, so I'm going to go cool 40. Jenny Slate's cool people. Give me 33. 39. Wow, really? Two 39-year-olds. That's really the, the birthdays. Not not too much to pick from, but happy birthday to those people. Five actors tossed under the wheel. Those five were Jackie Chan, Melissa McCarthy, Idris Elba, Billy Bob Thornton, and Gabriel Byrne. And we are <laughs> we're hitting uh, Gabriel Byrne here. Uh, probably the, the uh... least of the favorites. On that list, we'll, we'll dig into. Hey, you know, another Irish actor. We'll, we'll for talk all about. three people who are listening now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the wheel. <laughs> Chris O'Dowd, lowest one ever, but he's our, in our most listened to episode. So who knows? The hate sometimes flows and gets people excited. Hold on, you guys. We have a built-in audience with the yeah. Burnaholics. This is so true. I, I, the Burnaholics. I'm feeling baby. good about this. Just market to them. Yeah. They may hate us and therefore share with each other how much they hate <laughs> us. So we'll see. Well, we always start with a little trivia. James, what you got? We're going to hear two truths and a lie. These are going to be two facts about Gabriel Byrne and one fact that is not about him, but is in fact about a member of the cast of Fast and Furious. First fact, he played professional soccer in a youth development league before starting acting. Second fact, only one of his featured films has his character dying. Third fact, went to school to become a priest. I'm going number one, soccer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a footballer, so I'm going with number two. Uh, that seems like a wild fact that he's only died once, but that uh, I don't think I think that's some other Fast and Furious character. I think that is number two is the lie as well, because I think that's his co-star from Assault on Precinct 13, Ja Rule who was the star of The Fast and Furious. (laughs) I'm going to say it was number three, but that was actually Billy Bob Thornton, who I wish we were covering instead. (laughs) (laughs) So we had the the entire board covered there. So I'm just going to work my way down. So fact number one is true. He played professional soccer in a youth development league before he started acting. He actually played for a team named Stella Maris FC in Dublin, Ireland, which is known for its youth development. And on their website, he's the only non-athlete listed as a notable alumni. So they've produced like multiple Irish national uh, football uh, players. So they're really good. And he's the only one who is famous and not for playing sports. Fact number three is true. He went to school to become a priest. Uh, but when quoted, he actually said at the time that he quit due to his inability to give up being intimate with women. Um, later, he went on to say that he is no longer a religious man. Uh, when he was young, he was thinking of it from a more the practicality side of it. He just didn't think he could actually be abstinent. <laughs> Fact number two is actually not true. Only one of his films featured characters where he has died. That's a Paul Walker fact. Paul Walker has died in Flags of Our Fathers. 
Gabriel Byrne has died 17 times on film. (laughs) (laughs) That means I would have had to have watched 17 of his movies to figure that out. (laughs) I did not do that. I'm going to assume James found that little tidbit online and didn't peruse his entire filmography for that. No, I I watched every (laughs) single one. (laughs) Thank you for your service, James. You're welcome. I have a whole Excel sheet, the whole deal. (laughs) Did he die? Yes or no? (laughs) Fast forward to the end. Okay, he's dead. All right, there we go. Um, Snapshot and box office history case. What do you got? As a lot of you guys that know how I evaluate a lot of these things would guess, he uh, does not measure too well against the other actors we've looked at. And I I think there's two primary factors because of that. One, the types of movies that he's cast in or that he selects. And then number two is the era when he's doing most of his, his more popular work. I was able to find 30 movies that we have box office data for that have some prominence for him. And of those 30... 15 of them lost money. 50-50, baby. Second, of the 15 that he had, eight of them brought in $1 million or less in U.S. box office. Not great. A million dollars sounds like a shit ton of money, but when you're looking at nationwide releases, it's it's a pretty, pretty standard number. Of those movies that lost money, the one that catches my eye the most is Shade from 2003, which brought in a cool 25 grand at a U.S. box office, <laughs> which isn't awful, but you are comparing that against a $10 million budget. Ooh, that's bad. He has five different movies that lost $10 million or more. I'm going to do a review on one of them. <laughs> yes, you are. In terms of box office success, his, his most prominent movie was The Name of the Father, which, which grossed $66 million against a $13 million budget, but he was only an executive producer on that. Out of the 32 other performers we've we've looked at, he comes in ranked 28th in Star Meter, 18th in Critic and Fan Ranking, and 31st and 20th, respectively, in two different box office categories. Overall, he comes in at 30th, just ahead of Christina Applegate, Regina Hall, and behind Rene Russo. Whoa. Pretty scathing. So not great. The numbers don't lie, boys. The numbers don't lie. Room for improvement. Is what yeah. I'm <laughs> There's work to be done there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks, Case. Yeah, man. All right. So before we get into first feature film, it's kind of piggybacking a little bit on James and some of his trivia. So uh, he's, you know, we've covered a few Irish actors. The last time we did a primarily Irish actor and Chris O'Dowd uh, didn't fare so well on the Watson meter. And so I don't know if uh, Gabe's going to buck that trend today, but he's born and raised in Ireland. As James mentioned, he, he would plan to become a priest. He studied linguistics and archaeology in college, and then after college, he taught some Spanish, some history, a bunch of odd jobs. Most famously, according to the Burnaholics website, put glass eyes and teddy bears at a factory, and uh, was also a plumber. I don't know if the, the sexy variety or not, who knows, and uh, a bartender somewhere along the way. Probably. He's a good-looking dude, so probably. He was popular amongst the housewives in, yeah. the, uh, in the manufacturing towns. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was slaying in the, I mean, the Irish countryside, dude. Like, yeah. the man's got he's got game. <laughs> he's got respect, game. I gotta respect it, the guy going. Yeah. You know, I was gonna go into the faith, and I found out I couldn't get laid, so I said, uh, "This isn't for me." Let's be honest about <laughs> the practicality of the job. It's tough. <laughs> James, I saw in a uh, I saw in in an article in the Guardian, he said that he was on a vacation. 
from his priesthood for a couple of weeks, and he got on a bus and he saw some ladies wearing miniskirts, and he just he decided at that point. He could no longer be a priest. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that, is that true? That's awesome. But he started acting at 29, so a late bloomer on that front. He started doing stage work in Dublin, mostly, which it's kind of interesting when you le- lean into his career. He His early stuff was a lot of comedic roles on stage. And now he talks about, yeah, he can't, no one will cast him in a comedic role. It's only drama at this point in his career. But early on, once he started getting onto the screen, he had a couple brief TV roles in Irish programming last summer in the Burke Enigma in 78. And then he did five smaller roles in movies, the first one being on a paving stone mounted in 78 as well. Did his first recurring character in TV on the Irish soap opera, The Re- the Rordans, um, in 78-79. And then he followed that up with another TV show character in one of what I learned is many historical characters that he's played throughout his career. He's in the search for Alexander the Great as Ptolemy, and then he follows that up with an appearance in Excalibur as Uther Pendragon in 81, a movie that seemed like it had pretty decent reviews. I didn't see it, but I did read that it introduced Liam Neeson, Patrick Stewart, and Karen Hines as well. So it had a pretty decent little cast in 81. Wow. But that takes us to first feature film. 1985, so a couple years later, he is in Defense of the Realm, in case has Defense of the Realm is a 1986 British political thriller directed by David Drury, and I thought I was in for another just painful viewing experience, and spoiler alert, I I enjoyed this movie, and and I'll talk about some of the things I enjoyed. Roger Deakins was the cinematographer for this movie, and it was one of his earlier movies. And if you guys don't recognize that name right away, you will definitely recognize some of the movies he's done. A little movie called Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, Beautiful Mind, Skyfall, Sicario, and recently 1917. All of those movies are just beautifully shot. It was really interesting to see his work early, and you could tell early that this guy kicked ass at his job, and it's no no shocker that you're looking at some of Deacon's work 30 years later, and he's still a great cinematographer and, and, and shooting great and, and beautifully shot movies. The movie Defense of the Realm follows Gabriel Byrne, who plays Nick Mullen, is a reporter for a British newspaper. He comes across a story where a, a prominent member of parliament is associated with this gal. And they, I never got a feel of whether or not it was a fair or they were friends or whatever, but she was associated with East Germany. So right there, like, I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, okay, so there's there's landline phones everywhere. There's a massive, powerful newspaper industry going. East Germany is a thing, and they're talking about the Cold War. So, like, that, it, the movie, even though it dated itself with all those things, it, it still kept me into it. So it follows kind of him trying to to go through and, and expose what's really going on, whether or not this guy was framed or or whether or not this guy from, from Parliament was indeed working with the East Germans. And when I was watching the movie, it had some elements that reminded me of two other really good movies. One would be All the President's Men. If you haven't seen that, that's essentially it is the story about Watergate. And then the other one, and just it kind of the the espionage and the, and the backroom workings of things, it had a feel of some spy game stuff. Thought of that movie a couple times as I was watching this. Byrne, you know, got he got into a, a pretty good movie, and I enjoyed watching it. 
And then Kyle, one of the comments you had made to me was, you know, you thought his acting was a little bit boring. Is that right? I think he turns it up a little bit towards the end of the movie, but I think it's similar to a lot of the other roles he's in where he's just, he's competent, but it's not, I don't know, it's, it doesn't jump off the screen at you. What they were trying to go for actually was they were trying to portray him as a reporter who was like completely in over his head and not able to tell the story that needed to be told. And then as he kind of goes throughout the movie, he gets more and more involved and that could speak to that, but it's a pretty good film and it, it's really watchable and he does a pretty good job in it. It's available on YouTube. And it's available on YouTube. It seems like one of those movies that Rigby would have seen like 20 times. Uh, it's not actually. I'm shocked that he hadn't. No, it's not. I wish I would have. All right. So next couple of years, another historical character. He plays Christopher Columbus and Christopher Columbus. That was his first Hollywood role in 85. Um, he's in four films over the next couple of years. The first one being a movie called Gothic. He plays Lord Byron. I think Craig watched most of this. I watched it today. It is the origin story behind Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it's like about the night where the idea is conceived. And it's this madhouse acid trip origin story with Timothy Spall, Natasha Richardson, and Julian Sands. It, it was a bonkers hour and a half. Huh. It's so crazy that it's 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 tough to watch. Fascinating effects. It's like spooky ghost stories, but gory. It's, it's not what I expected when I went into kind of like a biopic feel movie. If you guys remember when we were talking about Maya Rudolph, she was in the Bash Brothers, that Lonely Island made, and it was just so bizarre and so random. Yes. This had that feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's pretty much the lead in the movie, and I like the work that he did. He he takes some chances. He His character is pretty eccentric. It's it's out there. I just wish he did more of that later in his career. It's, yeah. it's almost like it's a little bit of a flash in the pan in the 80s at that point. One of the things that makes it tough is, and we talked about this before, is a lot of times the actors were acting like they were in a play. And, and there's, mm-hmm. there's almost stage performing and not film acting. This is very theater-like, yeah. especially his role. It's very theater-like. But he comes from a theater background, so it makes sense early in his career. Those are the types of roles he was seeking out. Mm-hmm. So, 87, he's in Julia and Julia, and that's with Kathleen Turner and Sting. And then he started dating Ellen Barkin while he was filming Siesta in 87 as well. Good for him. Hey, Ellen Barkin, she was, she was pretty, pretty spicy, pretty fine back in the day, too. Yes, she was. Yeah, I agree. But that takes us to 1990 to his highest critic score, and that is one of Rigby's favorite movies, Miller's Crossing, and Warren is going to talk about it. Miller's Crossing, 1990. You know, Coen Brothers movie uh, dealing with time kind of around the um, prohibition and everything. Good cast. Uh, Marsha Gay Harden, John Turturro, who is awesome in this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Albert Finney and John Polito. They all do a good job in their respective roles. And then there's Gabriel Byrne, who's just a walking nincompoop. <laughs> <laughs> He's just this vessel for a plot. He's really vanilla, really boring. I don't care for him in it. The only reason he got this role is because he... I, I don't. I haven't heard him... Well, I'm sure at this time, he was still kind of getting acclimated to like learning to speak... English, like American English for American films. Mm-hmm. And so they were just like, hey, you've got an Irish, um, an Irish background, just like speak English as best you can. He does a really good job, but he obviously has like Irish mannerisms and, you know, 
colloquialisms that he kind of drops into his speech all the time. So he, you know, he's cast perfectly for it. Could they have picked any other Irish person to do it and gotten the same result? Yeah, probably. If they just wanted somebody to punch in the face like over and over and throw him downstairs and just have him sit there with a blank, like a blank look on his face all the time. Yeah, they got what they wanted out of him. To be honest, like I understand why people like it. It's just not for me. It definitely fits the mold of like the noir, you know, the crime noir. And I think you could probably list off like 15 or 20 other movies pretty easily that fall right around the same, you know, the exact same plot. I enjoyed the score a lot. Mm -hmm. It was kind of out of place. It was a lot of times when it was kind of a serious thing it was made it a lot very lighthearted. it was kind of jovial there were some parts when i like i was laughing out loud like when casper his kid comes in and he interrupts him in a meeting and he slaps the shit out of his kid and his kid just starts bawling and he grabs his kid and he goes oh did someone hit you <laughs> john polito in that movie is creepy as hell yeah 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 but i i really liked him in it because he, I could totally see him as that person. He's always sweating. You know, he's like the, <laughs> uh -huh. Sean, the Sean Miller of the movie who's just like constantly sweating. Steve Buscemi's got a really small role, but um, John Turturro, like in the scene when, you know, he takes him out into at Miller's Crossing and takes him out into the woods, like that scene alone of him, that's by far like the best acting in the whole movie. Uh, dude, I love Turturro. Yeah. You know, there are some small roles like uh, Sam Raimi has a really, really small role in it. Uh, Francis McDormand's in it and yeah. a really small mm -hmm. capacity as well. And so, like, I, I totally understand why people enjoy the movie. It's just not for me. But, you know, in 2005, Time Chose Miller's Crossing is one of the 100 greatest films made. That's just blasphemy. That, that's just not a thing <laughs> for me. That was me last week with Requiem for a Dream. Like, I don't know who's watching these movies and enjoying them. Because, like, I get the message they're going for, but, like, sometimes it's just a pain to sit through. Well, it's also, like, in 2005, so it's 15 years after this comes out. I honestly think if the Coen brothers hadn't done it, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. That's what I was going to say. It was going off the fact that the Coen brothers were on, like, fire at that point. They'd done Barton Fink, and then they did this, and, you know, then they really, yeah, got rolling. And, you know, I think you could go back and say, especially on, like, Rotten Tomatoes, when all the, you know, when the website came up after Rush Hour, yeah. was, you know, came out. You know, <laughs> all, the, all the reviews for it are from, like, 2015 on. And so if you have all this stuff to pick from, and you're like, people, oh, yeah, who, I went back and watched this. are going but, back for this type of movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with that. It's just you know, again, it's just not for me, and that's you know, I, I it's just him. You know, I, I just I just don't like Gabriel Byrne. I don't know. Like, I I feel like his character development in the movie is really strong. If you don't like the actor and you don't like the guy, I can kind of understand why you would not really appreciate that as maybe as much as I do. Maybe if I didn't know who he was, would I care as much? I don't know. It, maybe it's just a situational thing. Yeah, I understand that. If if you had, if you had said outside of this, you were just like, "Hey, I got this movie you should watch," and you you get to watch that exclusive of watching movies from better actors, then <laughs> I wouldn't go in with a sour taste in my mouth. So. <laughs> you know, I hear you, Warren, because his character. You know, he comes off as intimidating, but he, you know, he's not a like a 
he's not a violent person. That's not his character in there, and so coming off as intimidating without using weapons seems... I don't know, seems like a tougher sell. I would agree that Gabriel Byrne, you could probably place just about any other powerful Irish actor from the time in there, and it would make the, it wouldn't really change the movie. So I'm with you on that one, Warren. I think if you put like put Liam Neeson in there, and he's like kicking ass. Right. <laughs> I know it's a little different, but if they redid it now and you put like Colin Farrell in there, he's talking about Professor Xavier yeah. and everything. I'm all about it. Yeah, could work. Well, that's Miller's Crossing, highest critic score. Uh, we've got one movie we'll cover before lowest critic score, and that is, I think, his only movie that's on Disney+, Plus, and that's Shipwrecked. He plays Lieutenant John Merrick, plays the ship captain in that one. A uh, little bit of a bad guy. Not a great Disney movie, um, but he's all right. He's okay. He's fine. Again, you could probably replace him with people, but he's, he, you know, he does just enough to, to make you hate him, and I think otherwise they're lacking some star power in other areas that wouldn't... It's not a Disney classic from that standpoint, but it's there for people to check out if they're interested. But that takes us to <laughs> Burns' entrance into Cool World, and that's his lowest critic score, 92. Sweet. James. <laughs> this is a movie that I don't know why, but I have a memory of my dad putting this movie on, realizing that it was horrific and definitely not for children. <laughs> and then immediately taking it off. And then I got the flu, like, directly after. I don't know what age I was, but I know that situation happened. And I n- didn't realize it was for Cool World until I looked up Cool World. And I'm like, oh, that's the movie. Yes, that's why I couldn't remember. <laughs> so that's the only memory I have of this movie. I would give you the plot, but Cool World is plotless. <laughs> it's absurdly horny, and it's stupid in like an insulting way not like a funny way if you want to have a good time watching bad movies which i love certain bad movies like some are so bad they're entertaining you should not watch cool world it is not funny or entertaining it is just confusing for no reason and horny for no reason to give you kind of a background of what it is it's it's similar to who framed roger rabbit in that it has like humans and cartoons interacting and Uh, with each other in a way that's like an adult setting. But that's where the similarities end. It has an amazing cast. Brad Pitt, who plays like a 40s-style detective, who apparently his only purpose in the film is to make sure he cock-blocks humans from fucking cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. That's not a joke. That's a legit plot point. Major plot point, actually. Gabriel Byrne plays the artist who created these cartoons that are uh, trying to fuck him specifically one uh, by the name of Holly Wood. And she's played by Kim Basinger. And the entirety of the movie's plot is based around Kim Basinger trying to fuck Gabriel Byrne. Uh, She succeeds. And then she turns into a human and goes to Vegas and tries to like bang all the other humans before she slowly turns into a cartoon. I made up none of that. (laughs) That is the summary of this movie. Noids don't fuck doodles. Yeah, so a, uh, a doodle is a cartoon and a noid is a human. Is that correct? Do I have that terminology correct? That's right. Yes. That's Cool World. So you're welcome, guys. I, I watched that for everyone. I think I got the flu watching it the first time. <laughs> yeah, I could see your dad putting this on and be like, oh, wait, oh, my God, this isn't what I'm talking about. And then he put on heavy metal and he was like, oh, wait, no, this is even worse. I can't put on heavy metal. I could see how in the first five minutes, if you put this movie on, you'd be like, oh, all right, it's kind of weird. And But it's about minute six 
where a cartoon is having a very graphic sexual discussion with a human. And you're like, oh, right. Not for children. Got it. <laughs> Warren, this was the first Gabriel Byrne movie you watched, right? Yeah. I think you watched it the day you gave assignments because yeah. you're like, I learned that if you fuck an animated character, it will come to life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are, those are things they don't teach you in school. <laughs> they, they don't. They do not. But you can change that, Warren. You're on your way, your way to a certification. So, <laughs> James, I don't I don't mean to speak ill of your dad, but he did very little research in the movies that you watched as a kid. <laughs> no, it, it's it's becoming more and more clear to me that he would just go to whatever movie rental place was around at the time and be like, "Here's what I want to watch. Here's what I want to watch," and then randomly just grab to the side and be like, "And maybe for the five year old, I don't know." <laughs> And it's like, whatever he grabbed was the other thing that came with. I found a cool little nugget on burnaholics.com where it said, yeah. uh, Gabriel Byrne's direct quote about his involvement with Cool World is, uh, he remembers the experience as like being sedated for three months. That's, well, that makes sense. That's his uh, take on being involved in that project. Uh, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty there. Not a ringing endorsement. Brad Pitt's character is a cop who gets people in trouble for trying to bang cartoons, but he's got a cartoon like girlfriend that's trying to bang him the whole time. He's like, no, come on. This is like the one thing my character doesn't do. Stop. <laughs> and, and by the end of the movie, he's a, he's actually a cartoon. So it's okay in his eyes for him to spoiler girlfriend. <sighs> it's, it's grief. like the worst movie I've ever seen. It's, it's <laughs> terrible. And it's probably the one most of us have seen of all of Gabriel Burns projects. So I don't know what that means. But it's not oh, good. dude! Uh, when they were doing the promotion for this, they made a seventy-five foot tall cutout of Hollywood and posted it near the Hollywood sign. Did on, the neighbors the Holly- complain? Yes. <laughs> if you go to the next part of that article, it's the neighbors complained because this promotion was going on during the L.A. riots after the Rodney King oh, beating. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> We have to promote the movie, James. Yeah. It was a nice $27,000 donation on behalf of Rodney King. Thanks, guys. Yeah, this movie's going to do great. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, my Lord. Listen, guys, it's a cool world, okay? We just relax. I know things are, tension's a little high right now, (laughs) but, you know, come watch this cartoon uh, masterpiece. It's going to be fine. All right, so that's cool world. Don't see this movie ever. Uh, <laughs> it's on uh, Amazon. Go watch it. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. People think... should people should go see it. I agree. Yeah, they want to be able to relate to what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That should be a prereq to, to listen to this podcast. You have to watch Cool World first. Our next category is ninety eight. So we've got a six year gap to to hit on. First and foremost, he was in Into the West as Papa Riley with his wife Ellen Barkin. It's a popular Irish film, and as uh, Craig had mentioned, he produced. In the Name of the Father, the most popular, I guess the most successful box office-wise of the films he was involved in. He owns his own production company. I don't know if it started in 93 or just a few years before that, but he's done a, done quite a bit of producing over the years. 94, he's in Royal Deceit or Prince of Jutland, I guess, depending on where you find it. He plays Fengi. This is a movie with Christian Bale. This is yeah. the Helen Mirren one that you had mentioned earlier, Craig. Kate Beckinsale, Brian Cox. So very similar. It's right about the same time as Much Ado About Nothing, which we covered on the Emma Thompson episode. So kind of a period piece with a bunch of big time actors. The story is about the inspiration for Hamlet. Hamlet, yep. I note here that Gabriel Byrne has the Chris Evans from Cellular haircut in the movie. And if you've ever seen (laughs) 
cellular, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For some reason, the early 90s, he's rocking the same haircut no matter the role. And it's completely <laughs> out of place. It's a style choice. Everything else is period except for Gabe Burns' hair, I guess. I don't know. But he's okay. I mean, he's, he's a bad guy in that one. Similar to Shipwreck. Like, not a great movie. He plays a decent bad guy. Um, I don't know if anybody else saw it. But very young Christian Bale. If you like Christian Bale, it's a good one to check out. He releases his autobiography in 94 called Pictures in My Head. He follows that up by crossing over with Willie Hurt in Trial by Jury. And then he's in Little Women as Friedrich in 94. And I thought he was delightful in that role. So Warren could uh, fuck off. (laughs) He is good in that role. I think this role is like perfect for him. It's like the intellectual, flirty, intelligent older man. Like he's nailed it. Did I say he was going to be bad in this? No, I just figured you would hate it because it's him. First, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I couldn't tell you. I've never watched any of the 38 iterations of Little Women. Well, the last two, very good. Was this the second to last one? Yeah. 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 I'm sure it's been done three times. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I guess the last two that I acknowledge in the in the Little Women universe. <laughs> yeah. The, L, the L, LWCU. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows all about it. Yeah. James, you know how he got the role? Hugh Grant sent in his casting tape, and they said he was too handsome. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> they had to intentionally not give it to Hugh Grant because he was too handsome. He is very handsome. <laughs> he settled on Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> Dude, he crushed the role, man. Yeah, he settled all the way to the bank for being ugly. <laughs> the, uh, I talked about another movie. So uh, this, was, this movie came out when I was in my heyday working at the movie theater in my hometown. And Seven Days and Nights with um, Harrison Ford was a movie I got in trouble with during selling tickets. And my boss started screaming at me. I also got in trouble with this movie because patrons started complaining about me to my boss. Because I tried watching this. And as a 17-year-old guy, it was definitely not my cup of tea. And couples (laughs) would come up to watch this movie. And I'm like, can I help you? And they'd go... Two tickets for Little Women, and I would I would yell, "Why?" And, and everybody be like, "Just give us the tickets! Just give us the tickets!" And so I had I had more than one person complain about me selling tickets to them. That I got angry that they bought tickets for Little Women. Dude, I would hate to be your manager at a movie theater. Like, can you stop shouting at our patrons, please? <laughs> and and I would look right at the guy too when I would say it. I would go, why? But well, that, so that, that's my that's my story adorable. about Little Women. James, I read reviews of it that said he was lovely in it as well. So yeah, you're not the only one. He follows that up with his role as Keaton in The Usual Suspects in '95. I do think they could have, if you put someone in for Burn here. I, I don't think that changes the dynamic in the movie. Kind of like kind of like we discussed with Miller's Crossing. Mm-hmm. He's not that level of actor. And he was lucky to be cast in this because the cast is so good. It's, it's a very well-rounded cast. And that's sort of what you remember about the movie because, you know, it's character driven from about six different people. But I don't think he's that's like kind of unfair, though. It's like, yeah, we asked the question, could we replace any actor? And we're like, oh, maybe this is really well written and well directed. And then we're like, and this guy's kind of replaceable. It's like a, I thought they're all replaceable. You know, I don't want to hold it against him that he's in a great fucking movie. I could have listed every single actor in this except for 
Gabriel Byrne. Okay, that's different. Yeah. I knew I knew the names I knew the names of all of them, but but Gabriel Byrne. Is that just because he's not as premier as the other ones in terms of the rest of their career after? If if Gabriel Byrne was in Biodome like Stephen Baldwin, it'd be a different <laughs> story. But he's not. Chaz Palmentieri is in uh, a Bronx Tale, and as an Italian, you're handed that at the age of twelve, and so of course I know who Chaz Palmentieri is. <laughs> Did you just grab my ass? I know your tricks, Dewey. (laughs) I think his style was good, and and I think he was good in this because everybody was so like eccentric, and he was so very debonair and and almost I don't want to say smooth, but it it worked in with that character of like, man, this guy is so cool. Maybe he is the guy we need to be afraid of. He plays on that personality in uh, that show Zero 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 on uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's very similar, where it's like okay. A little seedy, but smoothish for you know the more level-headed bad guy, and it's very similar character. I think if you were to CGI a broom in his scene, like in every scene that he's in, I don't think he'd miss a, a beat in this movie. Just to replace, <laughs> replace him with a broom, and I, I think the movie still carries the same. Way. <laughs> now, is it? A, are you talking about annoyed or or a scribble? You can't no. By all means, don't bring any noids. Everyone knows that. <laughs> the most important thing that he did in this movie was play the flashback scenes of Kaiser Sose. It's a very big part of the movie. I don't know. I feel like you guys are hating on I liked him in it. I, I do. Yeah. But I, I, I think everybody in that movie, it was so well written and so well done. I, I think... You know anybody would have done well, but I do. I do think he did well in this movie, and I am a fan of him in this movie. Also, ninety-five. He's in one minute of screen time in Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man as Charlie. I watched it. It's a pretty abstract movie. I mean, it's a Jim Jarmusch movie, but he's he's in that very briefly. Yeah, he doesn't have a big role. I just I just didn't know what the fuck was going on. It's a two-hour movie, and I I couldn't explain to you the plot <laughs> after it was. It's very abstract. What's his role in that? I don't really remember his role in that. He plays the boyfriend of a girl that Johnny Depp is hooking up with. Who walks in, they have a little showdown, and Johnny Depp shoots him. I mean, it's it's like a western with a psychedelic Neil Young soundtrack. It's a very it's it's kind of a unique movie, but I was just confused by it. Ninety five, he crosses over with Angelica Houston and Buffalo Girls, which is available on YouTube. He's rocking a southern accent in that one, so if you want to go figure out if you think Gabriel Byrne can rock a southern accent, by all means, check it out on the tube. And then kind of off the heels of some of those projects, especially Usual Suspects, he hosts SNL in 95. He just pokes fun at Irish stereotypes. It's it's kind of a fun little deal. It is entertaining. It's pretty entertaining. <laughs> He's standing up there talking about how Irish actors are really becoming prominent in the States. And all of a sudden, Colin Quinn comes out in a potato costume and another SNL character's out in a whiskey bottle and they're dancing behind him. And he's, you know, they're just having a good time. The music's real jovial. And then he starts talking about how those stereotypes are harmful and they feel really awkward and they stop dancing. The music changes. Then he he brings it back to being a positive. They start dancing again. And so he kind (laughs) of keeps it going back and forth. So... It's kind of a fun little three-minute video you can also check out on the YouTube. Uh, yeah. But hey, good for him. Hosting SNL on the on the heels of Usual Suspects. Probably say 10, maybe 10 of the actors we've covered, if that, have hosted SNL at this point. Yeah, I think that's if being that, generous. That, it might yeah. be five. Honestly. Maya Rudolph every single time. Yeah. <laughs> 96, he's in Mad Dog Time is Ben London. It's probably one of his more eccentric characters that he's had. Rigby, I know you're a big fan of Ebert. 
and this was on Ebert's like most hated movies of all time list. <laughs> he absolutely fucking hated Mad Dog Time because it's a Richard Dreyfuss movie and it is just balls to the wall weird. And great cast too. Great cast. The three main characters are named Mick, Nick, and Rick. I think are the three, and the whole is time Vic, Gabe, in there? Vic. That's it. And Gabe Burns' character just keeps using alliteration the whole time, and it gets really old very quickly. So people do not like this movie at all. He's it's it's a fun role for him because it's very different from a lot of the other stuff he's done, yeah. and he's he's funny. But the movie itself is it's definitely a bit of a drag unless you're like I don't give a shit. Yeah. Also, '96 he wrote the the movie Dragged, and that was the first television drama in Irish to be in Gaelic. It coincided with the launch of the TG4 station. That's pretty cool, him doing some yeah. some groundbreaking work on the Irish side. And then in 98, he is in The Man in the Iron Mask in a key role. Uh, 98 is, as well, he's in Enemy of the State as Brill. I love Enemy of the State. I, I do not remember him in that movie at all. It's it's a tiny, tiny... He's a cab driver, and he's he's trying to pick him up. Strip searches Will Smith, and that's it. That's That's like his... Isn't that the scene where he, like... He like says like give me your give me oh, your stuff yes. or okay. yeah now and then yeah but then you yeah then he's revealed that he's just a imposter and Gene Hackman is obviously the re- the real is that guy. the only scene he's in in the whole movie yeah, yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's it wow yeah that's it which was kind of shocking because he was he had a decent career going at this point and this he's making like cameos which is kind of surprising that movie is awesome too I hope we get to cover it with uh. I agree. Jack Black next week. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes to our replacement largest audience gap, Sigmata. This was an interesting movie to watch. The plot of the movie is a woman played by Patricia Arquette. She's a hairdresser. She gets sent a cursed rosary from her mother from a market in Brazil. And when she receives the rosary, she starts feeling the same wounds that Christ felt when he was crucified on the cross and Gabriel Byrne plays father Andrew Kiernan, who's an investigator for the Vatican, who basically his job is to travel the world to investigate sort of supernatural things that happen within the church. I didn't know about his background in the priesthood. So that actually made this role kind of cool for me because he really does do a good job in it. Yeah. He's very, obviously, he's a priest, so he's straight-laced, and he's serious, and you know, there's not really any humor in the movie, because it's a supernatural horror movie, but I didn't hate this movie as much as I thought I was going to. It was kind of, it's, it's a really unique, the way it's edited is really cool, too. It's like super in-your-face for like kind of a late 90s thriller-type movie. I'm looking at the critic score now, 22 on Rotten Tomatoes, 63 audience score. I'd probably give it like 50 if I were scoring it. Nice. And I think Byrne is is good in this movie, and Patricia Arquette's good too. It's just it's a lot of. Uh, I was just reading some reviews, and apparently, I'm not a religious person. I'm not Catholic, but apparently, the idea that like a rosary could lead to stigmata is like one of the most like outlandish things <laughs> in the church. Your bio going on some rant, so we could just ignore the uh, unbelievable religious aspects of it. Yeah, how, just, how does the Catholic Church view this movie? That's usually how huge I, fans. judge films like this it caused some outrage among them obviously because a stigmata is which i didn't really know a lot about it's apparently only happens to 
deeply religious people and not like atheists like Patricia Arquette is in this movie. Yeah. So that's one thing about it that they were really up in arms about is like a person can't go through this type of experience unless they're deeply committed to their faith, basically. Hmm. It's not something you can get from a rosary that is purchased at a supermarket in Brazil, you know? That's how my cousin got it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying I could get it, Rigby? Yeah, anybody could. Sure. Anybody could. That's what the movie's about. Not according to the Catholic Church, but according to Sigmata, you could. Sure. It was an intense movie. I was kind of blown away with how graphic it was. Yes. Which obviously, you know, you're dealing with the crucifixion of Christ. Like, that's a pretty graphic scenario right there. But to, to sort of put that in modern times, I think was, was kind of cool. And it was a cool, it's a cool premise for a movie. If you take it for what it is, knowing that it's obviously a very, you know, unrealistic supernatural horror movie, but I enjoyed it. I would, I would definitely side more to the audience and the critics. And I thought Byrne was, was a good, good cast for this role. His priesthood background lends credibility to it for sure. Yep. His whole background, you know, lends credibility to it because he's he's a skeptic. Right. Yeah. As a priest. And, and then the other point you, you talked about, Rigby, that I think adds to the story is the fact that she's an atheist. Yeah, for sure. Like that to me adds, adds an element to that story. I enjoyed this movie. I, I watched it when it first came out and I've always liked it. And I think Rupert Wainwright is the director. He is. He is. That adds another whole layer to it. I'm glad you got that movie and we got a chance to talk about it. Rigby, what if I told you that he was nominated for a Razzie for his role? I wouldn't be that. So I know the next movie we're going to talk about is like End of Days and he was nominated yeah. for that for a Razzie. And that was... End of Days stunk. Back to back Razzie. That was definitely much more deserving than his role in this. I agree. I, I think probably because when the movie did come out, it was thought of to be so outlandish that that's probably why he got nominated for that. I don't think it was much... So much of his individual performance. Okay. So, 99, you all just mentioned it. His number two IMDb credit is his role as the man in End of Days, which he also got a Razzie nom for, for Worst Supporting Actor. This movie stinks. It's bad. Man. It's just boring. He goes on the other side of the good versus evil spectrum, right? He goes from the, yeah. the, the yeah, fan side true. to the devil side. And doesn't have a lot of speaking lines in it, from what I recall. I mean, he gets possessed by the devil in like the first five minutes of the movie. And then it's him just kind of watching things unfold as the movie goes on, I would say. This was when like I first realized Arnold's career was slowly coming to an end and it was sad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say Schwarzenegger had some sort of a magic spell over Hollywood because, oh, this, this is was, rough. Yeah, it stunk. And then I was like, oh, no, man, like that's probably it for him. And don't worry, his life turned out fucking great but yeah it was sad to see an action star just kind of fade like this i remember gabe burns character because that right after he hits like he goes to the bathroom and then the devil comes in and possesses him and then the first thing he does when he walks out is he like makes out with this guy's wife at the table and like grabs her breast <laughs> yeah. it's like the most uncomfortable <laughs> fucking thing yeah so that i'm sure yeah. that would have been a, a weird scene to shoot for him for sure that was the uh, the first scene i found when i looked online it's mm-hmm. him coming out making out with some chick exposing her breast and i was like oh so it's that kind of movie all right interesting so and and for that movie sam raimi and guillermo del toro were initially offered it but they turned it down and the role of jericho kane arnold's role was written for tom cruise <laughs> oh my god oh wow but he chose he chose to do he chose to do magnolia instead which might have been a better better role yeah smart move just barely 
just a little bit. <laughs> the breast scene is jarring, so you remember that. Final fun fact, this movie almost grossed $66.6 .6 million, which would oh, have wow. been 666. It was, was, si oh, wow. million. Oh, wow. So we'll enter into the 21st century. 2000, he's in a recurring role in Madigan Men as Benjamin. Also executively produced that one under his uh, production company, Pluribel Films. 2000, he also makes a return to the stage in A Moon for the Misbegotten. A New York Times columnist said Mr. Burns' long third-act monologue is the stuff of theatrical legend. Haven't seen it, so I don't know if that's true. I cut out a little bit in there, but it's available. That quote is fully available on burnaholics.com, so you can check that out. Is Mr. Burns' long third-act monologue the prequel to Billy Lynn's long halftime walk? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it, if it is, it only goes downhill after that. Got it. Cool World is the only movie I've watched so far that's worse than that movie. <laughs> cool World is the worst, but Billy Lynn is number two. Give it five episodes until you get back to Lois Critic, James, and we'll yeah, see if we can we can get you there. And then 2002, he's in a, a movie called Virginia's Run. He plays Ford Lofton, and the only reason I mention this, he just plays a dad character, and he's you know perfectly competent in that. But I'm watching the movie, and at the end, he crosses over with most of the cast of the Trailer Park Boys. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's 2002. It's an American-made film. And then all of a sudden, in this horse race, all you see is Julian and Ricky yelling out of nowhere, and Jim Leahy, a.k.a. John Dunsworth, playing a cop. And it's the most random cameos of all fucking time. <laughs> That's awesome. It makes zero sense, but it's like, like the coolest cameo I've seen in a long time. Just out of nowhere, the Trailer Park Boys in a movie about horses. <laughs> There's got to be a cool backstory to that. That's that's all I'm trying to say. I just don't know what it is. So if you're listening, let us know. Yeah, please. Let us know if you if you have the story. 2002, he does a crossover with Tim Roth and Emmett's Mark. And then in 03, he's in Shade, a movie that Craig had mentioned earlier. He plays a poker hustler manager. And then 2005, he's in a movie called Wawa, not the restaurant gas station that makes delicious subs <laughs> and other ready to, to made order food. Yeah. I heard it's great. They should make a movie about that place. It's a delicious little place. Yeah, it's called Clerks. Oh, yeah, you're right. They did. So Wawa, I laugh about the, the title. It He's actually, it's one of the better roles I've seen of him. So I think it's on, I think it's on Prime. It's either Prime or Tubi and Tubi. He plays a character named Harry. He's drunk for like 75% of the movie. It's directed in, by Richard E. Grant. It's about his life story from Swaziland. And he's played by a young Nicholas Holt um, and Emma Watson's in it and she's great in it. It's, it's a pretty solid movie and his character actually has some decent depth to it. One of the better roles I saw because I saw some really bad roles along the way and it has pretty decent reviews. So check it out. Wawa, W-A-H dash W-A-H. Interesting one. Oh, six. He's in Jim Devine as Stuart, a role that he got some awards love in critic circles for. And then also in 07 is when he, he gets recognized by some some larger award bodies. So first, he gets a lifetime achievement in acting from the Dublin International Film Festival. And he also got an honorary degree from Trinity College Dublin for outstanding contributions to Irish and international film. So Ireland said, Gabe, you have been doing good work, so we're going to give you some cool, prestigious awards in 07. So good for him. He follows it up. 08, he is in a stage production, Camelot, plays King Arthur. Again, he seems to love to play these historical characters for the New York Philharmonic. 
and he followed that up with his role as Dr. Weston in 2008 to 2010's In Treatment, which he got a Golden Globe win for. He was nominated twice, and he was named TV's latest Dr. McDreamy by the New York Times. This is kind of a cool show. I think it's like honestly still relevant today because I think mental health is sort of more people are recognizing the importance of it now more than ever. But the premise of it is cool. It's basically just his life with these therapy sessions for like six or seven different patients, I think. And each one is like a different episode. And he's great in it. I've only seen one season, but he was deserving of the accolades that he got from it for sure. He got it. I mean, now I'm too. I don't think I mentioned that as well. But of all the roles he's done in his career, other than some of his Tony work on the theater side, in terms of film and television, this is his most award-nominated role over the years. For sure. Mm-hmm. He also talked about it being the most challenging work he's done. He said he would get 35 pages of dialogue every two days and that it was just extremely taxing for him. Yeah, It's set up in a way that's like a play or a stage. Basically, it's just yeah. three people in a room, two or three people in a room for a half hour. So that's probably why he felt comfortable in that role. Even if, he, even if it was a lot of work, I would imagine that's why he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. 2009, someone made a documentary about his life called Stories from Home. And then also in 2011, he was named the first ever cultural ambassador for Ireland. So that's pretty cool. Again, they yeah. love him in Ireland, clearly. But maybe it'll lead to some clicks for the episode because the, uh, the people who love Chris O'Dowd over there will listen to that episode like crazy at one point. On repeat. Yeah, right. And that takes us to Largest Critic Gap, our last featured review, and that is I, Anna. It didn't isn't actually his largest credit gap. I don't think we could find the actual largest credit gap. So, you know, judge that however you will. But Ayanna is a 2012 noir film. The split's not huge. And I think Warren could probably speak to this as someone who dug into the Rotten Tomatoes side for stuff. There probably weren't a lot of credit gap options because there aren't probably a lot of his films that have better critic scores than audience scores. Yeah. If anything, it's probably flipped the other way. Where critics fucking hated it, and audiences might have liked it a little bit more. Yeah. The director of Iana is Barnaby Southcombe, which is one is just a fantastic name. He is the son of Charlotte Rampling, who is the lead actress in the movie. I think that's the only reason she's in it, because her son is directing it, his first time director. Um, Charlotte plays Anna, a divorcee caught in the middle of this noir thriller. She falls for the detective who's investigating the case. His name is Bernie. Surprise, surprise. He's played by Gabe Byrne. He's also a divorcee and an insomniac. Basic gist of the movie is he's investigating a crime that she's involved in. Early on, he just becomes interested in her as a divorcee, as she's a divorcee, and, you know, I'm lonely and horny. And uh, I'm just going to go out of my way to kind of stalk her and get to know her more. And eventually he finds out he's in a little too deep and she's definitely a prime suspect in this particular case but he is way too deep into this unethically speaking and has to deal with the ramifications of that so that's the general gist of the movie the way the movie works the timeline it, it jumps back and forth so it gives you a little glimpse as to what happened in the murder right and it just reveals a little bit more every 10 minutes or so in the movie so you as a viewer are trying to figure out like what did she actually do the, his role in Iana is like his career summed up. He's perfectly competent in the role. He's fine. He's not extraordinary. He's not bad. He's whatever. It's a small little noir picture that probably didn't cost much money to make. And I get why uh, critics liked it. And audiences were just a little bit lower. So 
there's not much else to share there. That's Ayanna, largest credit gap. So let's round this out. We got eight years left of his career. So the most recent years, 2013, he's in Vikings as Earl. Again, more historical characters. He's in Louder Than Bombs, little indie film with Jesse Eisenberg and Isabel Huppert. Not a ton of people saw it back in the day, but it is available on Prime, and I like the movie. It's a pretty decent little flick. He has to play some serious nuance because the whole concept is his wife was a wartime photographer who committed suicide, and he's having to deal with the personal ramifications of that and also with his two sons who are handling it very differently and in their own weird and dysfunctional ways. And so he's trying to balance being a dad, but also that does sound interesting. Tr- trying to date. Yeah, it's an it's an it's definitely a not a uh, feel good film by any stretch of the imagination. But he's it's very similar to what we're going to talk about in his hereditary role, where he yeah. plays that kind of role pretty well. Where it's there's some nuance to it, but he's not going to jump off the screen at you from that standpoint. Check it out if you get a chance. Uh, he's in the thirty three. He's in Carrie Pilby, which is available on Netflix, plays the dad in that. He punches Professor in the face in that one. That's the highlight of his acting in that particular film. He's in No Pay Nudity, which is supposed to be the largest critic app. Take note of that. Marco Polo, again, another historical piece. And then he gets another Tony Nam in 2016 for his role in Long Day's Journey into Night. But again, that takes us to 2018, Hereditary, as I mentioned a minute ago. And he plays Donald Tony Collette's husband. Hereditary is one of those horror movies that you watch it once, you say, wow, that was awesome, and then you never watch it again because <laughs> it hurts to watch this movie. It is like yeah. I described in the group chat. It's like getting punched in the stomach. You're like, oh, okay, all right. I don't want that to happen again. But then as you're watching the movie, you're like, yeah, I was scared the whole time, but I am not going not gonna to enjoy that flick once more. And I thought he was great in it. And but the real star of the movie, in my eyes, is Tony, Tony Collette. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. Horror movies don't get recognized by the Academy ever, but she 100% should have gotten an Oscar nomination for Best Actress. She's unbelievable in that movie. Yeah, James, you, you couldn't have said it better. Like, if someone's like, hey, uh, I like horror movies, that's the only movie I think about. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that and like Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, both Ari Aster movies. Yeah. I thought Hereditary blew Midsummer out of the water. 100%. But, I mean, holy shit. James, did we see this together in theaters? We did. We did, right? Yeah. Yep. And then I suggested that my dad should see it, knowing full well he would hate it. <laughs> A little payback from Cool it. World. <laughs> yeah, and he hated it. Remember Cool World? 14 years ago, Dad? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> he asked about Midsummer when that came out. He's like... Is this any good? I was like, it's by the guy who did Hereditary. He's like, okay. He's like, you remember that one scene in Hereditary you didn't like? He goes, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to watch this. I was like, yeah, it's exactly just like that. 2018, he's in Maniac, which is a series that's available on Netflix. He plays Jonah Hill's dad in that movie. I liked it. I thought it was cool. Emma Stone too, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It's kind of like a trippy show. It's like shown from the perspective of people with... Uh, like severe mental illness, dealing with it via drugs in the future. It's pretty cool. Also 2018, the other category we were supposed to cover, uh, largest audience gap, was supposed to be an LA Minute with Kiersey Clemens. Again, we could not find it, so we covered something else in its place. He is in War of the Worlds as Bill in 2019 in a recurring character role. And then he is a detective character in Lost Girls, which is also available on Netflix, premiered at Sundance two years ago. 
pretty decent film. I guess that's probably the third or fourth time he's worked with Amy Ryan. I think we mentioned she's in a couple TV shows he's done, and she was in Louder Than Bombs as well. She plays the, a teacher in that one, too. So that seems to be an actress he tends to work with pretty often, pretty comfortable with. But that takes us to 000, which is the show that James had mentioned before. It's on Prime. It's got pretty high ratings. He plays a shady businessman. He's only in like two, the first two episodes, I think, shipping some coke. What I've seen so far is good. I only, so I watched the first two and I was like, oh, okay. And you could ascertain why he's not in the rest of the show after that. <laughs> and then I was, but the show itself was good. So I'm excited to watch the rest of it. It's based on a book. It seems like a cool concept. It shows the perspective of, drugs in the world from like the suppliers the buyers the brokers the dealers and then like the users and gabriel burns character is a broker who's like a shipping broker and he realizes he can make so much more money if he brokers coke deals instead of ships like normal things and so he's playing like the shady businessman who's clearly like a veteran at this and very similar to his role in usual suspects where you just just because of the vibe he gives off you just kind of buy that he's you know, a veteran at this. And as we rounded out uh, a movie that I don't know anything about, but the Burnaholics seem to love it. And that's Death of a Ladies Man. I think it's based on Leonard Cohen's work. He's in that film that just came out in 2020. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Burnaholics on that website, all about Death of a Ladies Man, I've noticed. Big fans. Never heard of it, but now I'll check it out. Big fans. Yeah. Kyle, I saw an interview. He was talking about Leonard Cohen, and he said that. Leonard Cohen can cover every single emotion within seven notes. And that was kind of the, the backstory of, of how he got involved with that project was the, the admiration of Leonard Cohen. There you go. Pretty cool. I like it. And then we'll round it out with, uh, he just wrote a new memoir called Walking with Ghosts. And it's inspired by Gaelic storytellers and their craft. And he, he's done some really interesting interviews where he talks about how like these traditional Irish storytellers have inspired him in a lot of ways and how he tries to incorporate that into his work. So lots of stuff out there. It seems like a good interview, but that gets us to 2021 and the top performances and hopefully a pretty decent little list. Yep. So I got this one from Irish central. So a little, which is an Irish news source, obviously. And it came out right around the time that death of a ladies man did. So January, 2021. Oh, and it's just movies. There's 10 on here. We haven't discussed like half of them. So, <laughs> That's okay, though. I'll give you that. Uh, Miller's Crossing. That's it. I'm done. Miller's Crossing's on there. <laughs> cool World. Cool World is not on here. No. Is it numerical, Rigby, or is it just like 10 rolls? Just 10 rolls, not numerical. Wawa. Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects, yep. Wawa is not on here, Kyle. Oh, lies. lies. Is Defense of the Realm on there? Yep. Nice. Yeah. It's a good movie. Louder Than Bombs. Louder Than Bombs is on here as well. Nice. Ooh. Little Women. Little Women is on here. Ooh. Of course. Death of a Ladies Man, since we'd already talked about it. Nope. Stigmata? Nope. Man in the Iron Mask? Nope. Hereditary? Hereditary's not. I wish it was, but it's not. That's a joke. <laughs> Fuck this list. Throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> Into the West. Into the West. Nice job. Okay. So I think we're missing two or three. How many of them did we mention? Two of the, f- two of the four we were missing, we mentioned. Hmm. So think, think of the Irish stuff early on, because this is an yeah. Irish list. Gothic? Is Royal Deceit in there? Oh, there's no way. No, but think of the movie that we talked about that had a lot of famous Irish actors in it back then. Or famous English and Irish Gothic. actors. Nope. Excalibur. Yes. yes. Nice job. There one. you go. Okay. So and then Dead, Dead Man is on here. I don't really know what? why. What? He's in I it know. for a minute. I know. What are the other two, Rigby? Spider, which is a, oh, which yeah. is a David Cronenberg movie, um, which yeah. we didn't talk about. 
And then Frankie Starlight from 1995. So what's funny are those those two or two that I had in the show notes and I just deleted for time. Yeah, well, so, th- there you there's go. funny. No, we didn't see him anyway, so that's I think that's a, a good thing. The way the Munsonmeter works, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors that can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, if they have any other talents, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us. And we'll get started with Rigby this week. I think he's a good actor. He's obviously got the chops in a pretty wide range of things. TV, stage work, you mentioned, Kyle. That's sort of his forte. Memorable roles on screen. I don't really think you can really go that far. I don't think, like we mentioned in a lot of movies, I think if you if you plug somebody else in, I don't think it changes the dynamic of the movie. I'll be honest. I was going to give him a lower score, but then I read some stuff about his memoir, and he sounds like he's had... A really interesting life. Yeah, sounds like a good dude. You know, he's really honest about like battling alcoholism and depression and stuff. And I and at the end of the day, I mean, the guy's had a good career for almost 40 years now, longer than 40 years now. So that's pretty cool. So all that being said, I'm going to give him a 76. All right, Case. I like a lot of things about Gabriel Byrne, and, and I do think he is a good actor. I don't know that he always stands out in performances, and then there are some areas that are tough to compare him against other people that we've looked at. One area that I actually like him in is his longevity. If you look at some of the really early movies in his career and you're looking at some of the really late stuff, he has really evolved as an actor. In terms of the range that he performs with, I don't think that's great. But the one area that I'm going to give him massive credit in, you know, he's really a pioneer in the, in the Irish acting world and the Irish film community. He's blazed a trail for performers to follow in, and, and that's tough to do. Unfortunately, I, I don't think it's going to measure him up against some of the other measurables that I look at. And because of that, I'm going to give him a 64. All right, Warren. He gets points for longevity and having his name associated with a couple movies that I like. Aside from that, there's really nothing. He just doesn't bring anything to the movies for me. Very replaceable in everything and honestly if it weren't for this i if you said gabe Byrne, i wouldn't be able to pick out a single movie that he's in which it is what it is he, he's not going to score higher than chris o'dowd for me he at least makes me laugh <laughs> gabriel Byrne gets a 43 from me all right james you guys have said a lot of what i think here he's associated with a bunch of movies that i love I think where I started to like him a little bit more is similar to what you mentioned. Uh, Rigby is, he seems like a good guy in his personal life, outspoken against the Catholic church and how he was sexually abused as a young kid. And I think that's impressive for someone his age to come out and do that and be that outspoken to the point where he actually was made like an ambassador to Ireland. That's impressive. Being 25 years sober is very impressive. I appreciate someone owning up to that later in life as well. And then I found out he has the same birthday as me, and that's the second person uh, (laughs) that we've reviewed who has the same birthday as me, so he gets a little bumped for that as well. But all in all, I give him a 59. The old birthday bump. All right, I'll round us out. So I think it's hard to ignore that most of his films have pretty poor ratings. And as Mm -hmm. Craig talked about earlier, his critical reception box office not great definitely in the lower tier of of actors we've covered things i do like i like his evolution from a faith and philosophical standpoint you know he's he lives in maine he's an atheist 
I like his philosophy on life of like the world's just in a natural state of chaos. And we as humans are, we create religion laws and these morals and it's, it's our effort to make order of the world. And I like that. It, it aligns with how I kind of view the world myself. So um, I jive with him there as an I- very Irish human myself. I appreciate that he's so connected to the country and the culture. And I recognize that what he, his contributions are there. And he's obviously gotten some awards for that too. For me. And I, I think I've mentioned it once, you know, he's like a, a six out of a 10 movie for me. It was like, it's decent. It's not one that I love and going to go out of my way to recommend to people, but does good enough work to where I don't think he's necessarily a detriment in most of his roles. It, but it's not like Keith David last week where we talked about like Keith David jumps out at you pretty much everything he does. Even if it's a trash movie, you're like, Keith yeah. David's at least pretty fun in whatever his role is. So with all that, I'm giving him a 60. Warren, what do we got for an average? gives gabriel Byrne a 60.40 which is good enough for 26th which has him in between my rudolph and james marsden very fair that's very fair mm-hmm. right on a 60 maybe not fair to my rudolph <laughs> higher than i thought it was gonna be <laughs> all right warren what does he got coming he's got uh, a movie called hamlet revenant which is a mix between hamlet and the movie the revenant <laughs> when, no, but it's a modern-day <laughs> version of Shakespeare's Hamlet. It's Shakespeare, but with a bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see that. Yeah, for sure. Gabriel Byrne plays Hamlet, and the bear plays whatever the... I, I've never... I, I couldn't say Hamlet. <laughs> the only thing I know about Hamlet is the movie Hamlet 2 with Steve Coogan. Coogan. <laughs> This will be his second run at Hamlet. Yeah, that's all he has. I think Hickman. Yeah, he's got a book. He mentioned in a couple of interviews that he he's in the process of writing a novel about the immigrant experience. So we'll see as he turns into an author if that turns out to be a good thing or not. Who knows? I'll bet it'll be fucking interesting. Yeah, I agree. He's a talented writer, man. The five actors that we're throwing onto the wheel for episode thirty-three are going to be Samantha Morton, Michael Clark Duncan, Jack Black. Christopher Fairbank and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Who do we like? Who do we not like? I mean, it's Jack Black, right? Am I not Morton? Not Fairbank. Yeah. yeah, Jack Black would be fun. So would Philip Seymour Hoffman. They, he he could be one of the higher scores for me. Absolutely. Oh yeah, maybe the first dead person we've covered too. So that would be interesting. Good call. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Wait, is that true? What about Sorry. Michael Clark Duncan? He passed away too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He passed away as well. Yeah, he yeah. died five years ago. We haven't reviewed a dead actor yet. No. Mm-mm. Christopher Fairbank looks like he's dead, but I think he's still kicking. <laughs> He'd get a couple points from me because he's in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he's in a bunch of like sci-fi kind of stuff. N- not a lead actor, I don't think. I'd love to do Jack Black, dude. Much. Jack Black would be a blast. Yeah. Somebody would get to watch uh, Cable Guy. Nacho Libre. Samantha Morton, I couldn't think of a movie she's in other than Minority Report. In America, I guess she was in. She's in John Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who Samantha Morton is or Christopher Fairbank. No clue. Yeah, she's like the main precog in that movie. She has like a shaved head, a shaved head, and a bald cap on the whole movie. So the, no, you probably wouldn't recognize nope, her. Nope, not doing it for me. Both her and Hoffman are in Synecdoche, New York, which is that's right, pretty awesome but bizarre movie. So very if we bizarre one of movie. That, we definitely would talk about that one. We'll let the the wheel decide this one. It's not us. Fuck the wheel. <laughs> the wheel better decide correct the wheel's got some making up to do with warren if it's christopher yeah. fairbank he's gonna lose his fucking mind oh my god get your shit together wheel 
if it's Christopher Fair of Bank or Samantha Morton, you won't hear from Warren. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a new wheel. <laughs> You're, you're getting you're getting a new co-host. <laughs> Our next guest for our April eighth episode will be Mike Rodmaker, and Mike generally chooses good actors, so use that information how you decide. I thought the wheel chose. What the fuck? Now Rod Rodmaker will be back. He was here from Herschel. Oh, okay. Yes, right. that's right. Yeah. So, All right. That puts that makes me feel a little better. He's a good one. He's a photographer, filmmaker. And uh, all around interesting guy. So we'll bring him back, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Episode thirty-three. He's a good guest. Yes, he is. He's a good one. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. Email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Munson's? I don't have the balls. Do you hear that, Sleepy Joe? I don't have the balls. I'm brass balls. Better London. I got balls of brass. Brass balls. I bet I'll kill anybody I want to kill. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?